would say to anybody who wants to start classes like these, you have to make it personal. I'm a good storyteller. If I can personalize the experience to my administrator and say, you know something, I see kids suffering on campus. I see small groups of kids getting picked on. I see large groups of kids getting into cliques. I see stuff that is terrible behavior to each other. And instead of being punitive around it, we can be restorative around it. You know, just now, this whole buzzword stuff around restorative justice, I know it's been around for several years, but it's really sort of caught on. My suggestion to people who want to start this is to be compelling, to, regardless of where you're coming from as an educator, personalize why you think it's cooler and nicer for our kids to be kind, and it's cooler and nicer for our kids to be empathic and caring. That's the only way that we're going to heal the divisiveness that we have in our society. Welcome to season five of the Teacher Collaborative Podcast. So this season, we're rotating hosts, so you get to meet different members of the Teacher Collaborative team. My name is Randall Wilkerson, and I am the Engagement Manager at Teacher Collaborative. In season five, we're going to focus on change makers. We'll hear from teachers who have led change and hear in their own voices how they navigated the ups and downs of doing things differently. I'm talking to Lisa Brown. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Randall. So glad to have you here. Of course, before we get started, we want folks to know more about you. So please introduce yourself. Tell us about you, who you are, and who you teach. So my name's Lisa Brown. I live here on the Outer Cape, Cape Cod. I live in Wellfleet, but I teach in East Ham, which is exactly 16 minutes away from my home. It is actually the same school that I graduated from in 1976, and there is over 35% of us that graduated from there that teach there. It is a regional high school that has a district that goes from the Dennis border all the way to Provincetown, which is about 42 miles end to end. And we have about a thousand kids. It's a seven building open campus on 72 acres, a quarter of a mile away from the ocean. It is one of the only schools in the country that is completely surrounded by a national park. So it is really in a beautiful setting. I teach classes called Exploring and Respecting Differences. Kids know it as ERD. I teach ERD 1 and ERD 2, and then Honors ERD, which is HERD. They are classes that deal in diversity, inclusion, and they are SEL-based. ERD 2, we do things like human trafficking. We look at corporations and corporatocracy and capitalism. We're doing Black Lives Matter unit now. We sort of spread out and get more national and global in scale. And then my honors ERD class is an activism class. So my honors kids just went to the state house and had lunch with our senators and our senator and our representative. We call it lunch with legislators and they get recognized on the floor. And we sit around and we talk about issues. Well, I don't really do much talking, but the kids talk about issues that are really meaningful to them. And they talk to their representatives and their senator about that. And I started them 22 years ago. I started them because my first couple of years teaching at the school, 
I started teaching when I was 40. So I had had other life experiences. I've traveled all around the world and done a lot of different things before I started to teach. I always knew I wanted to teach, but I never knew what I wanted to teach. And I knew that I sort of went to the beat of a different drummer. And so I decided going back to my old high school was a kind of a safe bet because I felt like if I was going to make inroads anywhere, I'd be able to make it there. And plus, I lived in my family home. When I first got back to my old high school as a teacher to be, I noticed that the attitudes and the timbre of the school had changed. There was a group of kids called the Ramp Boys. We had just put up a series of handicap ramps to get up to code, and these kids would hang out on the ramp and not let anybody go by. There was a lot of bullying, and there was a lot of bluster. I remember seeing some Confederate flags and windows of trucks in the parking lot, and I thought, this isn't the school that I know and love that I want to teach in. We are and were back then predominantly white. We don't have a lot of folks of color at the school. More now, certainly. I think it's maybe about 16%. But kids were just, they sort of walked around with attitude. I was covering a class one day for a really wonderful English teacher. This was back when there were still levels. She had a B-level class, so it was like all the bad boys, quote unquote. And I was writing something on the blackboard, and it was in the middle of winter and a snowball whizzed by my head and struck and cracked the blackboard. It had a rock in it. And I thought, oh my God, I think I need to do something here. It felt like if kids had the ability to, and even if they were forced to do it at first, to sit around in a circle. I mean, I guess now they call them restorative circles, but this is before that was even happening. So my thought was, and this is what I pitched to the principal at the time. I said, you know, How about I get to teach these classes called ERD, Exploring Respecting Differences? He said, you want to call them what? I said, well, you know, he said, that sounds kind of fluffy. But we discussed it and I I said, you know, if I can teach these classes and if we can get some of these kids into my class and if I can teach through a lens of real empathy building and real see if you can walk in the other person's shoes and have kids really talk about their authentic experiences and bring kids out into the community and see other kids and other people who aren't like them, who perhaps they had made fun of, but who, given the opportunity, could sit in a circle and they could tell their stories too, then the magic happens. And that's exactly what happened. The first year, kids were sort of assigned to the class. And then the second year, kids were kind of assigned to the class too. But then the idea spread through campus that, wow, this is kind of a cool class. And I really started to build the curriculum. I started the curriculum by talking about stereotypes and really being able to identify stereotyping and implicit and explicit bias and biases, prejudice, the formation of hate groups, how hate groups form and what they do and how damaging they are, all the while putting it through a lens of how people feel about these things. The whole premise is that we understand that civil rights laws are designed and written to protect the least of us from the rest of us. And it felt to me like this is exactly what I needed to teach in my classes. And that's what I did. 
It's really based on a lot of storytelling, a lot of authentic experiences of kids coming in and adults coming in and telling their story. We have a lot of trans kids and adults come in and talk about what it felt like to transition, what it feels like to grow up in a body that doesn't feel the right way. We've had interesting discussions around sort of the politics and philosophy of gender and how that's changing so rapidly. In fact, when we do our gender unit, I have kids who know more than I come in and teach the class in certain instances because as an adult, it's sometimes hard to keep up with these kids. So sometimes I need to ask the experts and oftentimes it's not me. Over the years, the classes have become an opportunity for kids to really, really authenticate how the world is seen and felt in so many different ways, from some of the poorest of the poor to some of the most privileged that we have on Cape Cod. I remember telling a story once where I had two kids in class. It was 2008, and it was right after the recession, the crash. And one of the kids kind of outed himself. He was living with his mom in the back of a van with an extension cord going out to the van and a hot plate. He had just had to give away his beloved dog because they had lost their house. Their folks had gotten divorced and non-payment of the mortgage and things crashed and burned. And mom and the boy were living in the van with his goldfish. And they were sort of living on borrowed time in the yard of somebody's house, a friend's house. In that same class, I had a kid that year whose parents had just made $94 million. Let me tell you about the learning that happened in that class that day and the conversations that we had around it. Needless to say, the kid who was living in a van got a lot of help that he needed as a result of those stories. So that's what I do. I teach classes called Exploring and Respecting Differences. That sounds really powerful. Sometimes as teachers, we're made to hyper-focus on standards and objectives and growth, looking at data benchmarks. But it sounds like your ERG classes are coming from a different plane of measurement and understanding. So how have you seen participation in this class impact students? What does growth look like? What does change look like for students? It's really based on skills building. So when I talk about a social emotional toolbox, I'm trying to build some resiliency, listening skills, linguistic skills, conflict mediation skills, these kinds of skills that they can actually turn around and utilize in their lives, whether it's text messaging with their friends or in forms of social media. What we've seen anecdotally over the years as a body politic in our school is that kids have become softer, gentler. We don't have fistfights on campus. There isn't a lot of kids talking smack to other kids. They're not big clicky groups. There's a lot of inclusivity, particularly with our best buddies kids and our special needs kids, kids of color, our gay community, our trans community. I don't certainly say that it's my classes specifically that have changed the feeling and the attitude of the school, but a lot of the teachers say that it's my classes that are doing it. And I guess I expect kids to learn how to speak respectfully and listen carefully and reflect deeply in my classes. Those are the changes that I see. I see levels of maturity. I see kids being more thoughtful. 
I see kids using tools like wait, why am I texting? That's what it stands for. Or why am I talking? Instead of just jumping in and interrupting and getting into fights or arguments. So I see it in my classes, but when I hear from other teachers and administration that says our schools become a lot gentler, I think it's because I have anywhere from 170 to 225 kids a year that go through my program. That's a quarter of the school. So if I can cycle that in four years and try to get new kids each semester, then I get a lot of the school. So what do I see changing? I see kids feeling more empowered to be able to know how to affect and change their democracy. I see kids becoming more engaged and getting out into community and actually volunteering and making a difference and doing things that are meaningful to them that they know is also meaningful to the community. And I see the attitude on the campus change. I think we're the only in-school four-credit diversity class Usually they're after school programs, but we have a lot of electives at our school. And this is one elective that we're not going to let go of. So my mission is to try to spread the idea of these classes. When we think about this season, focusing on change makers, I've met so many teachers who notice a lot of the same trends that you've seen. Students, children, you know, young folks, people, adults being in cliques or separating based off of stereotypes and assumptions. And they would love to create a class just like this. Do you have any insight into what that process was like for you? I would say to anybody who wants to start classes like these, you have to make it personal. I'm a good storyteller. If I can personalize the experience to my administrator and say, you know something, I see kids suffering on campus. I see small groups of kids getting picked on. I see large groups of kids getting into cliques. I see stuff that is terrible behavior to each other. And instead of being punitive around it, we can be restorative around it. You know, just now, this whole buzzword stuff around restorative justice, I know it's been around for several years, but it's really sort of caught on. My suggestion to people who want to start this is to be compelling, to, regardless of where you're coming from as an educator, personalize why you think it's cooler and nicer for our kids to be kind, and it's cooler and nicer for our kids to be empathic and caring. That's the only way that we're going to heal the divisiveness that we have in our society. Social-emotional learning is as important, if not more important, than memorizing core academic stuff that is really great for background knowledge and breadth and depth of understanding of who we are and how we live in the world. But we have to help develop social skills and kids have to know how to manage skillfully. And they need to have the tools and be taught how to do that. And in the past, we've always just left it up to putting Band-Aids on situations after they've come up or sending them to the school psychologist or the guidance counselor or the resource officer or the local cops or suspending them. None of that works. That doesn't take care of the problem. You have to be vulnerable as an educator. And you have to see yourself more as a facilitator than as an educator. What do you say is the difference between being a facilitator and an educator? In order to do this work, if you want to facilitate classes like ERD, 
you need to be vulnerable in front of your students. And I think that that can be really hard for some people. I think it's hard in general. An educator imparts knowledge. A facilitator encourages knowledge that's already in the room, including mine. But I'm not the only one talking, and I'm not the only one teaching. In fact, mostly kids learn and respect each other more than they ever do us. They might love me more, but they really respect each other as teachers, particularly kids who really walk their talk. So there's a certain amount of risk. And the risk is, is that I tell my story. I become vulnerable with my students. And what it does is it ups the level of trust because they feel that I am being authentic. And so when we're talking about authentic learning, we also have to talk about authentic being in order to do this effectively. That's really powerful. If we want to talk about authentic learning, then we have to talk about authentic being. And I think that can be hard for teachers sometimes. We feel like we have to come in, have maybe a certain persona a bit and be the all-knowing or be able to manage the space, if you will. Sometimes that can move us away from that authentic core. We can't ask others to be authentic until we ourselves are being authentic in a space. So what's next for you? Well, much to the chagrin of a lot of people at my school, I'm retiring next year. So the trick is to find probably a student who was an erd nerd. There are students who have gone out and gotten their teaching degree, done it in social studies and psychology and human rights. And there are kids that are lined up to actually take the class over, which is really powerful for me. I'm hoping that there is one person who will take over my classes who are pretty much tailor-made for it. And that's because they've been through four years of me and then four years of school and they're teaching somewhere else right now, but they would love to come back to Nauset and take these classes over. In my retirement, I'd like to start working with the adult population doing this same kind of work because I have a lot of faith in Gen Z and I trust them. I trust where they're going. I think that they have the skills and the resiliency to push forward in ways that we have yet to see. I think our adult population is hurting and I would like to really start doing some adult ed and doing some circle work with people, particularly people who just can't stand each other and who are really divisive and really hate each other. That's what I'd like to do. I'd like to start bringing people together again, us old folks, because it's time. That sounds wonderful, just spreading your own experience into the adult space, as you're saying, while passing the torch to a young person to keep heard and heard going strong in your school community. I wish you a happy retirement and I wish you well in that endeavor. And I'm also wishing luck to the person that's going to have some big shoes to fill. They're only size 10. Oh, (laughs) okay. Not too big. Not too big. (laughs) Thank you so much. and, And I'm sure you're inspiring teachers who are even listening now. Thanks, Randall. No problem. You can learn more about The Teacher Collaborative by visiting our website, theteachercollaborative.org, or by following us on social media, at The Teacher Collab. That's collab with one L. 
And if you enjoy this show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Special thanks to today's guest and to all the awesome teachers out there who show up with love, creativity, compassion, and energy every day. Thanks to teacher Ben Truboff for our theme music, the Dusty Pencil Sharpener. And thanks to our amazing producer, Mijan Zulu, for translating our vision into a high-quality podcast and creating additional music. Thank you.